You're listening to the Deep in the Tank podcast with Chris Kidwell and Sam Glover. Sam, we sit here recording this at about three o'clock in the afternoon on December 21st, 2020. And uh, there's there's a holiday this week, isn't there? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Well, I guess it depends on who you ask and we'll get to that. Um, I work but... for Undisclosed Logistics Company. So holidays are weird. Yeah, where they run you into the ground right up until the day of, and then you get you act, you'll actually have Christmas off, right? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, what what you got planned for Christmas? Where you going anywhere? You gonna see people? You gonna you gonna just sit down and be a good COVID person, or what's up? I am going to hopefully. I'm going to drive from Undisclosed Logistics Company at the end of my shift, Christmas Eve, go straight to my parents' house, put my Christmas presents for my parents in, in, the, in their house, and hopefully I won't wake them up. And then they're going to wake up to find out that their son is asleep in their guest room. And they're going to have a great little Christmas because they love me and, like, my siblings are going to be over there. And it's going to be lovely. And my mom is especially going to be very happy with her present, I think. Hopefully my dad will like his. And actually, I think people will get a kick out of this. Go ahead, ask me what I got of my parents for Christmas. What did you get your parents for Christmas? Well, you see, Chris, I'm not good at buying presents for people. Gift giving isn't one of my love languages. So what I do for my mom every year for her birthday, for Mother's Day, and for Christmas is I get her a few different things. I get her a 12-pack of Mountain Dew and sea salt caramel chocolate bars. Why? Because I know she likes those. But I also got her a cardigan this year that my sister told me she wanted. So mix it up a bit. And for my dad, I got him a 12-pack of Coke and some Reese's. Why? Because I know he likes those things. Do they listen to our podcast? Because no. if they do, I... Uh, okay. My parents say, are boomers. Do. They don't know how podcasts work. Uh, uh, you're you're going to end up with a lump of coal for Christmas. Uh, oh, I don't think boomer is an insult. It's just they're they're older and like they don't do tech. Like They don't have the internet at their house. Yeah, like, well, that's uh, true. I... Uh, well, I'll be, uh, we'll be here at it, you know, still in Oklahoma. Um, we celebrated Christmas with my family over Thanksgiving. Uh, we were out right. in Tennessee. And, uh, so we'll celebrate Christmas with, you know, the, the four of us. And then also with Kelsey's family, um, Kelsey and I made the decision this year. We are not going to, uh, exchange gifts. That's not the same thing as saying we're not buying gifts, but, uh, we're not, going to go out and try and make it's almost a competition sometimes uh when you're married even if you say oh don't worry about it that sort of thing like oh were you as thoughtful as your spouse was and we just decided look we don't really need a lot of stuff um and in reality we certainly don't want to try and guess at this and so we're taking the relatively small budget uh that kelsey and i had for each other and we're basically going to take a day, a few hours next week, and just go out and buy the things we want for ourselves. Like if there was something we wanted, we'll just go get that and it'll be happy. And we'll, you know, the, the key here is we're going to spend time together doing it because Kelsey and I have 
made a point over the past year or so, and it really came into view when the pandemic started, of spending resources on experiences, not things. Um, so you're taking a sensible approach to Christmas is what you're trying to tell me. We're, we're trying to. We're still getting our boys a few things. Um, uh, quote, Santa will uh, come and bring our boys a thing he does every year. Um, well, yeah, but they're really, children, of course. And he, re- he really enjoys the cookies, too, is what I hear. And uh, and we'll we'll exchange gifts with her family, too. And it'll be good. Um, you know, we... Kelsey, the boys, and I took some family photos today, and I'm hoping that is the most stressful thing I do uh, the rest of this week. And so, you know, looking forward to just, just chilling out, just maybe relaxing a little bit, especially toward the end of the week. I'll be in the office uh, the next couple of days, but uh, but after that, uh, after Wednesday evening's Bible study, I probably won't go back to the church building until Sunday morning. And so, you know, just, just a good time spent with family. And, and I mean, that's the thing. We we are, are we're going to get our boys Christmas gifts, but in reality, I mean, the most important thing for us is just spend a little time with the family because it's one of the few times of the year that's not just super chaotic for us. And so we're, we're looking forward to that. Um, now what is, what is interesting to me and sort of what I think we're going to spend the bulk of our time on today is, uh, the different ways, um, that people, even people in churches of Christ approach Christmas. Um, Sam, I'll give you a little bit of backdrop about my experience growing up and I'll, I'll let you share yours if you want to, and, and sort of talk about this, because this has been an interesting discussion over the years, and it's been um, it, it, it's been an interesting uh, progression, uh, I think, from my perspective, uh, or at least a you know more nuanced understanding of what's going on. Here's what I'm getting at: Growing up, my family never celebrated Christmas religiously ever. Um, you know, no religious songs or Christmas songs of any sort of spiritual nature. Uh, at, at, uh, you know, around Christmas time, typically the congregations we attended would not sing, uh, any sort of Christmas music. Uh, and by Christmas here, I mean any song, uh, that references the, the birth of Christ outside of tell me the story of Jesus, because we always have our exceptions. Um, and, and we would not approach it, uh, religiously, spiritually at all. We would still approach it more secularly. We still exchanged gift, uh, gifts. Santa Claus came to the house. We made a point of spending time with family, um, but we didn't. Uh, we didn't approach it spiritually, and that was because the understanding, the belief was, you don't do that. That that's unbiblical. That Christmas is an unbiblical concept. That is an unbiblical co- holiday, and it should not be observed in any way, shape, or form uh, against a religious backdrop. Um, that's uh, that's not exactly where I'm at at this point. Uh, I'll we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. Uh, but I, you know, I just thought that was something other groups did, other uh, other religious groups, other you know denominations, if you will, did. And that's just that's what I thought basically all the way up until going to college, um, and. Uh, it was really then that I started having more serious conversations about that sort of thing rather than just making assumptions about it. Uh, but, you know, it's something where 
that's how I was raised. That's sort of my background on this. And I'm curious if yours was similar or different at all, or if that's something you're willing to share. Uh, Chris, I, I never share anything about my life or details. So I, I think you're really uh, out of bounds there, but I'll more remember, seriously, I'll remember that when you go to undisclosed uh, logistics company, you know. <laughs> um, more seriously, um, <laughs> more seriously, um, in my family, uh, we had a somewhat similar, uh, kind of going on, uh, the congregation I went to, we weren't as hard on Christmas and other uh, holidays as some churches, uh, but it wasn't a religious holiday for us. It was very much a just practical, like, family get-together holiday. We exchanged gifts, all that sort of thing. And, and we didn't really make a big deal out of it. It was just, if it came up, it was just, well, why don't we, why don't we celebrate Christmas as a religious holiday? And it was just, well, because that's an extra-biblical tradition. You know, we have nothing against it. Like, we don't hate people that do. It's just not what we do. And that was always good enough for me. Uh, there was, uh, for a while, uh, a very short while, there was a youth minister that the congregation I went to employed that was very, like, against religious holidays, but uh, he ended up moving uh, just as a matter of course, and it never really, nothing really came of it. So it was never really a huge deal, but we didn't, we would periodically sing Christmas hymns, quote-unquote, but it wasn't a, like, oh, well, because today is Jesus' birthday sort of thing. And so, yeah, but at the same time, I also grew up, like, uh, I can't recommend the film in good conscience because it's very salacious, but uh, I, to this day, I still remember things like uh, Full Metal Jacket, the Christmas scene where uh, Arlie Army has his uh, troop singing Happy Birthday to Jesus. So I was always kind of aware, you know, that's kind of what they do, but it wasn't what we did. And that was okay. Yeah, I, I think the only real difference here is sort of the attitude. Uh, my upbringing, and it, it wasn't necessarily as much from my family as it was maybe a product of some of the congregations I went to. Um, Christmas was, I mean, it was seen as wrong to, to celebrate in that regard. Um, and I may be misremembering some of that I, I you know we are talking about 20 plus years ago in some cases um, but that's sort of my perspective on that is you know most of the people I saw uh, when they or heard when they were talking about this um, you know they viewed the celebration of Christ's birth at Christmas time uh, as being you know wrong being sinful to some extent um, and this sort of I think is a good transition point here uh, because you know, depending on how you want to define the term celebrate, I might be inclined to agree. But the way that we might define celebration uh, versus what others are calling celebration is what becomes problematic. Because, you know, there's a difference between having a major feast a la one of the Old Testament feasts, if you will, uh, having a major holiday that you center your entire life around um, and you almost view it as a mandate to participate in is a uh, substantially different practice 
than singing a few songs about a particular biblical topic at a particular time of year. And I understand that there are a range of possibilities in between. Uh, but when I hear sermons and read articles that deal with, you know, taking the Christ out of Christmas because he was never there to begin with, it starts to sort of make the hairs on the back of my neck stand up on their end. Cause I, uh, I, I think people are being a little overzealous in that regard. I, we chatted a little bit about this beforehand. And, uh, I think that phrase, take the Christ out of Christmas, you have a little something to say about that, don't you? I mean, yeah, like it's, it's an integral part of what it is. And I mean, goodness, even then this is an uncommonly known thing, but have you ever seen Christmas abbreviated Xmas? Yes. Yeah. Do you know why that is? Because the X represents Christ. Yes. Or it rep- it's the first Christ letter. Of, yeah. It's the first letter of Christos. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, even beyond that, it's just for me, like I'll just put my cards on the table. I love Christmas. Christmas owns. I I love I love the Christmas season. I love the Christmas. I love the Christmas spirit. I love the food. I love the getting together. I love it. The exchanging of gifts. I like giving gifts, even though I'm not particularly good at picking gifts for people. I enjoy receiving gifts, of course. I think most people do. And I love the hymns. I I love Christmas music. Uh, People often think I'm a Scrooge because I insist on, like, no, no Christmas music until Thanksgiving is over. And, well, well, like, it's not a big deal. No, it is. There's a whole holiday. Just let Thanksgiving have its month. Black Friday, though, once it's... 12 midnight Black Friday. It's Christmas season, baby. And we're going to sing We Three Kings until our throats are raw and bloody. And we're going to love it. We're going to sing Adeste Fidelis in Latin until we can recite it in our sleep. We're going to listen to the little drummer boy until we can't stand it anymore. So, so. Um, I, can I take you on a, interrupt and take you on a brief tangent real quick before yes. we get back to what is what will eventually become a rant? Yes. Um, so I think it's worth acknowledging here that some of the quote Christmas hymns, and by that I just mean hymns that are traditionally sung around Christmas time, are often some of the most theologically complex uh, and uh, dense songs that we have. Complex might not be the right word here. Deep is probably the better word. Um, yeah, you know, joy to the world. Uh, it is not something you would come up with by just reading, particularly after the first verse, is not something you would come up with by just a cursory glance at scripture, right? Um, you know, lyrics like far as the, far as the curse is found, that's, that's not something you get just by reading a gospel once uh, or reading the account of the birth of Jesus once. And, And there are others like that. Now, you were on a good uh, roll until you hit Little Drummer Boy. Um, I love Little Drummer Boy. Don't even start with me. I'll fight well, you. Listen, I, I saw a meme the other day, uh, and what it, it said something like, uh, you know, Mary is just trying to get baby Jesus to sleep one night, and all of a sudden, this kid looks at her, uh, looks at her situation and says, what this woman needs right now is a drum solo. It's all he had to offer. Yeah, well, yeah. 
<laughs> but that, and I'll be honest, I just I adore the claymation movie. I love all the little Christmas claymation movies, especially the year without a Santa Claus. Oh, my heart sings when that movie comes on. And so that's something that like, you know, that the, there's a lot of value there. Frankly, some of those songs uh, probably should be sung at other times of the year. Uh, I remember Stan Mitchell when he was at Finger, excuse me, when he was at Finger. Uh, would often lead in the middle of like July, joy to the world. Good. And he would, you know, someone would ask him about it. He shrugged, he'd shrug his shoulders and say, it's a good song. Yeah. Uh, and, and Stan was about as critical of hymns uh, as you could possibly be. Absolutely. He had I, good uh, taste and discerning say, taste. I've got lots of stories and we don't have time for them now. Uh, but he's, uh, that, that, that's the thing. These Christmas hymns uh, are, are complex uh, and the concern that I see is not that we're singing songs that are uh, that are spiritually or biblically inaccurate, if you will. Um, the concern is uh, to lay it out and get you back to your rant that people are uh, doing something that is that is not authorized. They are speaking where the Bible is silent with regard to celebrating the birth of Christ. That we should only celebrate the death of Christ, and we should only do it. Uh, or we should do it primarily formally once a week in the partaking of the Lord's Supper. Um, and so getting back to your rant, taking the Christ out of Christmas. Okay, well, here's the thing. I agree that we should celebrate the death of Christ, but do you know what doesn't happen without the birth of Christ? The death of Christ. Exactly. Like... The birth of Christ, the incarnation, is a big deal. And I'll fight someone on that. Not even just from my, oh, but I love Christmas side of things. Like, yes, Jesus died. That is one of the most important aspects of the Christian faith. He died for our sins. He died as a substitutionary sacrifice for that. Fight me, Christus Victor believers and every other model. But, um... If he was not born, if he was not incarnated, if he did not pitch his tent with us, so to speak, he couldn't have died, because one has to be born in order to die. So, well, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, uh, you know, the sort of the pushback against that is, well, of course it's important, but the celebration isn't authorized, and so I'm, um, you know, it's there's sort of that aspect of it that. I'd be curious about where you're at on, as well as um, some of the, well, Christmas is actually a pagan holiday and it comes from these pagan roots. And so why are we participating in these pagan roots? Well, the pagan roots thing is usually a load of malarkey sown by people who don't know nearly enough about ancient or church history or ancient church history to comment on any of those topics, especially when people talk about Christmas is actually derived from Sol Invictus, the, the festival of the Inconquerable Sun. Well, that would be great if it weren't for the fact that Sol was a minor deity in the Greco-Roman pantheon until Julian the Apostate instituted a day, a feast day for him. Julian the Apostate was so named because he apostatized from what religion, Christopher? Judaism. 
No. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but um, but that's the thing. Like, or when people say that we, it, it's the same thing with people that say, "Well, Jesus is just a rip off of Dionysus, or off of Zeus, or off of Set, or Horus, or any number of other things." It's people who have read some neckbeard on the internet that doesn't know what they're talking about. Just quite frankly. And I don't say that to be insulting. I don't say that to be demeaning or anything like that. It's just there's a reason that these claims don't get taken seriously beyond people with agendas or with books to sell. And it's because they're not serious claims. It's worth noting here, too, um, as far as that particular point, sort of the uh, secular historical roots or perceived secular historical roots of Christmas, uh, even people uh, who are staunchly against the celebration of Christmas in a religious manner uh, don't, most preachers, most elders, uh, most people who are somewhat uh, well-read in that area understand uh, that that, you know, that's not a sustainable source of opposition to the religious celebration of Christmas. That that's certainly, and that's know, fair it, to note. Yeah. It, it's, it's some, but it is, it is something that will come up. Um, you know, it's something that, uh, whereas you're a preacher, uh, might not struggle with it. If he's well read someone who comes across something on the internet once or reads something in a book or comes into contact with a preacher who maybe does buy into those things, uh, will just sort of adopt wholesale. And that's unfortunate, but it's pretty easily addressed too. Like you said, it's, um, there, it's got no real, uh, it's got no real foothold, if you will, if you look beneath the surface. Right, right. And I appreciate you noting all of that. But even beyond that, just the question of, well, it's not authorized. Okay, there are lots of things we do that aren't explicitly authorized. And instead of traditions, we call them expediencies. And, and I don't say that to just be a smart aleck or anything like that, but there is a point at which we have to ask ourselves, okay, if the denominations didn't do this, would we be okay with it? Or is this one of those, we just have a pathological need to be different sort of things? And if we're honest, I think this is sometimes born more out of our, we want to be different than are actually being consistent. So with regard to this, I think there's a couple of layers of this that sort of stick out to me. Um, there's the, like you said, there's the need to be different. Um, and I can appreciate that. And if, to be clear, if congregations don't want to mention the birth of Jesus around Christmas time, sure. uh, if their elderships decide they don't want to do that. I've got no problem with that whatsoever. Sure. Um, that's their decision to make. And it's important to note here, there isn't a mandate in scripture to celebrate this like there is uh, with regard to the Lord's Supper. Uh, there is a mandate to observe that in a way that is not true of the birth of Christ. Um, that being said, uh, this sort of gets back around to what I, uh, what I was mentioning uh, earlier, that idea of celebrating. Like I would agree to a certain extent uh, with those who say we should not be celebrating Christmas religiously. Where I would disagree is on what it means to celebrate. Um, because if we are just talking about singing songs and teaching material, like on Sunday, I, I haven't actually 
figured out what exactly I'm preaching on on Sunday yet. I haven't decided if I'm going to stick with my sermon series, if I will cover something about the birth of Christ, if I'll do something tangential. I kind of want to take an Old Testament approach to it, uh, talk about the the promise to Abraham. I think that's probably the direction I'm going to go. Um, but I haven't settled on that. But if we're talking about that, at this point, all we're talking about is uh, when we sing the songs and when we teach the material that otherwise, uh, if this date weren't in question, would not be an issue. Uh, nobody, or rather, at the very least, no uh, reasonable Christian will contend that we should not teach the birth of Christ. And no reasonable Christian will contend that we should not sing about events in Christ's life, uh, given that our songs are to be, among other things, educational. Right. Uh, and so you're not going to get that argument. And I, I, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate Christians will be reasonable to that extent. Um, my, my humble contention here is that all we're quibbling about is whether or not it's okay to sing those when people are already thinking about them. Um, you know, now if by celebration you want to warp an entire Sunday service into focusing on, uh, the birth of Christ and you want to do this somehow at the expense of focusing on the death of Christ, we're going to have a problem. Um, sure. you know, if, the purpose of our Sunday gatherings is over the death of Christ. And, and we don't have uh, any sort of license to compromise uh, that. Um, but, you know, if, if by celebrate, you just mean sing songs at a particular time of year or focus on a particular event at a particular time of year um, or anything like that, uh, I, I, I really think we're talking on different, uh, and of course I'm saying we're here. I'm not referring to you. Um, Certainly. I hope but, I understood. you know, I, I think at this point it, it's an overreaction is what it is. Um, you know, you see something that is uh, something that can be a good thing to focus on. But if we're being, uh, if we're being honest, Christmas is also very commercialized and it's also uh, somewhat sanitized by people. Um if we're if we're not careful, our overreaction to that is, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about celebrating it, so we're not going to do anything, and anything that looks like it is bad. Uh, anything that looks like we're celebrating it is bad, and so we had better be sure that we're not singing joy to the world on Sunday mornings, and we better be sure we're not uh, preaching about the birth of Christ on, on Sunday morning, uh, and we better be sure that no members of our congregation are going out and saying, uh, you know, Christ is born. Hallelujah. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't dare walk into Hobby Lobby this time of year, uh, lest I hear a Christmas song, uh, that's religious in nature. You know, if that's the extent we're going to, I don't think there's a biblical basis to make those claims at all. I would agree. But, and I would also ask as far as the question of the purpose of worship uh, centering around the celebration of the death of Christ. I, I agree we should remember the death, burial, and resurrection because that is a crux upon which uh, we are saved. But at the same time, if we are going to insist that that is the focus, and I don't think that's a wrong thing to focus upon, then... Uh, there comes the question of, okay, so if we're going to use that to say, well, we can't talk about Christmas, that sort of thing, 
then, okay, why do we have lessons about, okay, well, here's how you manage your finances, or here is how you have a better family life, that sort of thing. Why do we have those sort of, let's say, special topics days? Because those arguably do much more to take the focus away from the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ than a taking a day to say, yes, we are here because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But before those things happened, the birth of Christ had to take place. And we want to take this time to remember the birth of Christ, especially right now. And so for that, I don't know if that makes sense, but for me, that's a consistency issue. So here, let me, let me even, uh, if you don't mind, let me refine what you just said just a little bit here. Um, cause Christmas, right. It, very few people will argue against preaching a sermon about Christ's birth. They'll argue against doing it around December 25th. Um, and so, you know, to your, to your point, some of those, uh, pointed sermons, will take place at specific times a year, right? What What's going to be the Sunday after Christmas or maybe two Sundays after Christmas? A lot of congregations are going to have a sermon about, oh, it's 2021. It's new year, new you, that sort of thing. Um, you know, uh, now this year, those sermons are going to be very different. Um, but, you know, we're going to have a new lots year. Sermon. Of new, lots of new normal sermons right. that are going to make me want to rip off my ears. What what do what do some preachers do around Memorial Day? They talk about Jesus' sacrifice, which is good, and I guess sort of uh, sort of you know doesn't necessarily prove my point because it is still talking about the death of Christ, but it's preaching a topic based on the calendar. And then a lot of preachers, myself included, will preach family-based sermons between Mother's Day and Father's Day, um, and they'll preach and teach and perhaps sing about spiritual content uh, to do with the family between those two very secular holidays, two holidays that you won't find anything close to authorization for in scripture. If that's, uh, if that's the approach you're going to take. And so, you know, the idea of doing these things at particular times of the year, uh, I, I think what you're getting at here is, is true. People are maddeningly inconsistent about this. Um, you know, uh, as far and we as we all far, know my feelings about inconsistency, that it's okay as long as you're right? No. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Inconsistency um, is the sign of a failed argument. Oh, yeah, that. Um, no, I... Uh, that, that, that's the thing. I, and I mean, what I'm, not, what I'm not trying to do is browbeat Christians who don't celebrate it at all and don't want to touch it. What I'm getting at is maybe you ought to be very, very careful uh, about why you're doing what you're doing and your own consistencies and inconsistencies uh, in how you sing about things and how you celebrate things before uh, you you levy some accusation against your brother or sister in Christ over something that is uh, mostly inexpedient. Um, looking at it this way, another way to look at it, even if you don't necessarily uh, have anything to do with it spiritually, the world around us does, um, and thank God, I mean this as sincerely as possible, thank God that the world around us takes at least a little bit of time out of their year to focus on Christ. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and that's that's something worth, as Christians who ought to be evangelistic, that's worth taking advantage of. Um, 
you know, having those conversations, reaching out to people, particularly because holidays can be difficult for a lot of people. Uh, and yes, even in our congregations, having sermons centered uh, around that and having music centered around that, that's, it, it would be different if we were talking about something that was thoroughly unbiblical, but you're talking about an event uh, that's present in the Gospels. You're talking about an important part of uh, an important part of our Savior's life. It's his origin story, if you will. Or let me rephrase that: it is the origin story of his earthly incarnation. There you um, go. Saved and, yourself from the stake, right there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, it's something that not only do we have there, but the Old Testament spends quite a bit of time discussing. Uh, you know, it's something where we. Like I said, I'm probably going to mention the promise uh, to Abraham in Genesis chapters 12 and 15. Um, but, you know, we've got prophecies in Isaiah about it uh, as well. You know, it, it's something that uh, Scripture intentionally spends a good chunk of time about it. Uh, a good chunk chunk of its pages, uh, well, you know, uh, parchment uh, discussing. And it's something that is worth our attention. And if people are already geared for that, if it's something we believe that they would respond to, then it's worth preaching because it is scripture. It's the word of God, just as the death, burial and resurrection of Christ is. Now, I think we can, uh, I think sometimes if we're not careful, I've seen Christians go to the complete other extreme and not sort of connect the dots. Right. Um, ultimately when we're preaching, uh, we're preaching, uh, Christ crucified, and we're preaching, I, I believe, in the same vein as uh, John the Baptist, as the apostles, as Jesus himself, and as the early disciples, we're preaching repentance as well. Um, I, this is fresh for me. I preached out of Mark chapter 6 yesterday. And, uh, you know, it's something where we preach the need for people to change, uh, and we preach in such a way that helps motivate them to change. But it's something that, you know, if we can if we can use this holiday that people are already observing anyway as a catalyst uh, for evangelism, uh, not doing so would be borderline tragic and has been borderline tragic. Right. And I just, for all of those reasons and more, I just, I just, I don't, I've never personally understood the animus that we have sometimes. And there are people who will say, well, the Puritans were against Christmas. And I take personal exception to that because, you know, me and the Puritans are boys, despite our disagreements. Because there is one thing that holds the Puritans and I together inseparably. Do you want to guess what that is, Chris? I've been really bad at this game today, so I'm going to just let you do it. It's the word methinks. I love that word, and so do the Puritans. But jokes aside, how, how when you world read would, the Puritans... How would I have gotten that? <laughs> you wouldn't have. That's the fun of it. No, for who? Not me? Uh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's hilarious for me. <laughs> but jokes aside... When you read the Puritans, it is not the celebration of Christmas itself that they are against. It is the debauchery that ended up surrounding festivals and feast days and things of that nature. 
And to say, well, they were against it, well, one, I mean, half the people that make these claims don't like the Puritans anyway, because they're filthy Calvinists, and a bunch of other things, like paedo-baptists. And two, that would be like, that would be like me saying, you know, I don't really like going to baseball games because I don't like the off chance of getting hit in the head with a foul ball and saying, well, Sam hates baseball. I mean, I do, but not because of that. So maybe that's not the best example. But you take my point. It's just, we we don't want to misuse those things, especially in service of going against something that I, at least, I think is on the whole a good thing. And, and that's the thing is I, the animus is problematic, as you mentioned. If people want to observe it or don't want to observe it, that's up to them. Um, and, you know, as far as, as far as Christmas is concerned, I mean, it's something where at, at the congregation where I preach, we've got people who would love nothing more than, than to sing nothing but traditional Christmas hymns, uh, the entire month of December. And we've got people who are going to raise their eyebrows the first time they hear one. Um, and it is, it is okay, uh, to have different views on that, um, what is not okay is to browbeat someone for considering a particular part of Christ's life at a particular part of the year. Uh, that by itself is not problematic. Uh, now, if we start commercializing uh, the birth of Jesus, I'm going to have a problem. And I think the Puritans uh, would have just as much of a problem with the commercial commercialization uh, of the holiday today as they did with the debauchery surrounding it. Uh, 300 years ago and so i it, it it's it's something I, I mentioned that college is what sort of nuanced this for me because i i don't think if i were to tell people today what i viewed about uh the celebration of christmas i don't think my technical language um if i only had an, an elevator pitch would change I think I would say we shouldn't celebrate Christmas religiously, which is probably a little different than where you're at. Um, my my contention is very simply that my definition of the word celebrate has changed. Um, you know, celebrate, if we're going to use that as a technical term, and it should be defined as a technical term if people are going to accuse others of sinning when they do it. Um, if we're going to use that as a technical term, then it is not just simply singing about and teaching about. Uh, it has to be something more than that. Otherwise, Scripture doesn't have a prohibition against it. Um, you know, and, and to be clear, I, I think it is personally, or personally, I think it is perfectly fine uh, to talk about also how people have corrupted Christmas over the years or how people have... Um, you know, hijacked Christmas for their own means or created rival holidays and folded those back into the celebration of Christmas or whatever. Uh, but that that's also, is, and we've already sort of brushed this aside, but that's also not a justification uh, for not doing it. Um, now, it could be an issue of conscience, right? I mean, it could be, I understand all this, but I'm still uncomfortable with it. Fine, don't do it, right? You know, at Bridge Creek, I'm pretty wary about how I do that, 
not because I think I'll be lashed out at, I, I, I won't be. Um, but because I understand that there are some people there who, uh, are not entirely comfortable with that. We, we might sing a Christmas hymn or two as a part of our worship. We might not. Um, and I, I'm mindful of that when I preach, uh, I'm mindful of that as I approach the day. Uh, and so it, it, it's something that, uh, what's the best way to put this? There's a lot of liberty involved in this decision. And I think traditionally, uh, those of us in church of churches of Christ, um, have varied maybe a little bit too much in how we've responded to that liberty and how we've addressed that liberty. Um, and you know, it's something where I, I think there are limits. I don't think that we get to do whatever we want with this holiday just because it does surround one aspect of Christ's life. Uh, certainly if you're going to mandate the Christians do something, uh, for Christmas, I'm going to take umbrage with that because as we've mentioned already, that's not in scripture. But at the same time, if you're going to mandate that Christians just don't talk about an aspect of Christ's life at a particular time of year, that I believe that's that's the actual sin, right? You're telling people not to talk about a particular part of the Word of God because it's a particular time of year. That seems very counterproductive to me. Absolutely. And I would just add that this is, a, I think, a textbook Romans 14 issue. Uh, Romans 14 often gets misused uh either by quote-unquote weaker brothers to just kind of say, well, I'm the weaker brother, so just uh, be quiet and agree agree with me, or by quote-unquote stronger brothers who say, well, I'm the stronger brother, so just be quiet and just follow my lead. It's fine. But this is legitimately a case where I feel no great need to force someone who has a legitimate issue of conscience to celebrate or to even hold positive feelings towards the idea of Christmas as a holiday. But for someone else to try to force me or someone else one way or another, I, I would have to push back on that. Um, with you, And for me, it would be very simply, it would just be book, chapter, and verse. Uh, to borrow the and paraphrase the words of John MacArthur, no one comes into this house with a thus saith the Lord unless he follows it with a book, chapter, and verse citation. So if you're going to tell me, no, we have to do it this way, or we have to do this, or we have to do that, you have to be able to demonstrate that from the text. Otherwise, yeah. I'm not interested. Yeah, the burden of proof is on the one who wants to inst to, to institute a practice um, or, you know, to bind something. Right. Um, yeah, a, a brief tangent here. Uh, I I quoted John MacArthur last night in my sermon. Um in describing uh, John the Baptist's head being brought on a platter to Herodias's daughter. Uh, do you know the quote? No. It is a gift fit for a cannibal. Well, he's, he's not wrong. No, he's not. And Herodias wasn't much better. Yeah, I was going to say, he, uh, I think I referred to... Uh, uh, referred to the party that takes place as well as the gift. Uh, I think I referred to that as the height of depravity in the Gospels. I mean, there's only really one other event that could begin to be a contender. So, well, the, 
see. What are you thinking? The crucifixion, Chris. Okay, just <laughs> I mean, sorry, sorry. I, I I shouldn't have been so like just venomous, but well, it, it, you know, it's something I. I, I, you know, I thought about that as I said it last night. Is it like it? it is it the crucifixion? Um, because you know, it, it in one sense you've got the what is it? The Second Corinthians, uh, uh, the Second Corinthians five uh, understanding of it, which is you know he became sin, right? right. Who knew no sin. Uh, so that we could become the righteousness of God. And so you can argue that, yes, that's the height of depravity. Um, but when I think of the term depravity and applying it to a narrative in Scripture, um, it there's, there's a lot of spiritually loaded thematic material uh, that goes into the crucifixion. And I mean loaded in, a, uh, in an innocent right. way here. Um, uh, whereas with the... Uh, with the with the revelry that takes place in uh, Mark chapter six, that's very visible, right? Like I don't, I don't have to understand spiritually right. what's going on there uh, to know how depraved uh, that is. And it, it's depraved in a way that is largely unmatched in the new Testament. Um, right. And so and I'll even throw you another bone in that I can understand the hesitancy in calling something that even Peter in Acts 5, I believe, says was preordained by God, yeah. a depraved act. Right. So I can understand that, from that angle at least, one would not think of the crucifixion as, as an act of depravity. Yeah, well, and frankly, uh, for myself personally, uh, depravity tends to have sexual connotations with it, and uh, Mark 6 certainly counts. Um, you know, with Herodias's daughter basically being put on display for a whole bunch of elite drunk men. Right, right. So, it, it, you know, it's something that, uh, get, getting back to the point, um, you know, if you're going to bind it, fine. Uh, if you're not, I mean, for, for, for as much as, for as much as I mentioned, you know, people in my childhood being, uh, fairly, um, against it, we'll say. Uh, no one I knew ever made this an issue of fellowship. We'll say, uh, they, they would never say, uh, that person is, you know, they're not my brother in Christ anymore. Um, or at least they've separated themselves. Now, interesting, interestingly enough, some of them would contend that it is sinful, but they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't necessarily apply that statement to their relationship. Um, right. And I even uh, have seen like sermon outline books and things of that nature that took the position that it was in fact sinful. Uh, even one written by a fairly well-known missionary that at one point asked the question of if we are going to ask the people groups that we encounter to abandon pagan traditions, what are they going to think if they see us partaking in these like traditions? Well, then Which that becomes. Well, that that's an interesting question yeah. because, you know, why are we asking them to avoid pagan traditions unless they come to contact or come to conflict with the gospel? Yeah, and that yeah, is something I, to consider. Yeah. So I uh, there's a few ways to a uh, few ways to slice that, I suppose. But yeah, I I just you know it's something that I've struggled with over the years. I struggle every single year with what to preach over at Christmas time. Um, because I want to take advantage of the fact that people are thinking about it. I, 
in most years, this year's a little different with COVID, but most years it's, you know, Christmas is one of the most uh, highly attended uh, services of the year. Yep. Um, lots of family, lots of friends, and there are people who joke about that, but it is a good thing uh, that I can, Whenever that I know, okay, I'm going to have, you know, a 10 or 15% bump in attendance at minimum because I've got family coming in, some of whom this is the one sermon they're going to hear. Uh, I, you know, for the next I better make months, it count. Yeah, for the next several months. Uh, and by the way, it, this is weird uh, to me um, because people do not apply the same standard to uh, to Easter. Um, at least not as many. Uh, some do, to be to be sure. Sure, uh, sure. But I don't see near the discussion about this with regard to Easter uh, as I do with regard to Christmas. Um, maybe it's because it's the resurrection specifically. Maybe it's because we probably have a little bit better idea of when Easter actually uh, or when Jesus' crucifixion actually was in the calendar as opposed to his birth. Um, right. I, I, which, by the way, that point is totally irrelevant uh, to the discussion of Christmas. Yep. The idea that we don't know when Christ was born, that does not matter at all in this case. I actually, I my memory serves, Peter Williams has made the case for it being sometime in September. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's the thing. It, it, it could be December, it could be July, whatever. It, it, you know, people focusing on certain spiritual things uh, at different times of the year, uh, whether they have a calendar guiding them or a man-made calendar guiding them or whatever it is, um, that that doesn't affect the conversation one bit as far as Every I'm Every calendar is man-made, Chris. Time is a construct. Nothing's real. No, I, no, no I've, never, I've never watched Doctor Who and enjoyed it. Um, but my under, my understanding is time is a flat circle. Uh, you know, Chris, that actually surprises me. I would, I would think that you would at least enjoy like the ninth and 10th doctor, but is, is the ninth doctor. Cause uh, even I liked the ninth doctor. Is that Eccleston? Eccleston? What's his name? Yes. Sir. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I tried that. The one that's just... fantastic a lot. I, I just, I don't know. The special effects kind of took me out of it. Um, That's and, weird. and I just, it, you know, it's weird because I am in, I am super into sci-fi. Um, you are. I, I, I say this, but I've got a couple of big blind spots. Uh, I don't generally enjoy Dr. Who. And also, frankly, it's a little intimidating to get into at this point. Let's be honest. Right. That's um, fair. And my other big blind spot sci-fi wise is the the unread copy of dune that i have sitting right next to me well i'll do you one better christopher i will now list all the star wars movies that i have seen in their entirety ready go the phantom menace the revenge of the sith rogue one a new hope the force awakens and the last jedi this concludes all of the Star Wars films I've seen in their entirety. So you've not seen the best one. Um, I've seen I've seen bit I've seen a good bit of in the of Empire. I've seen bits and pieces of Return of the Jedi, but those two movies basically meld together in my mind. Yeah, see Empire Empire has the only argument uh is the movie with the, the only movie with an argument of being a thoroughly great movie independent of being a part of Star Wars canon. 
Sure. Like all the other ones rely on being in the Star Wars universe to be great. Empire, like Empire is a 10 out of 10, even if it was, you would be a little confused um, if it were a standalone film, but right. it, it would still be a 10 out of 10 in my book. Like it's, it's just head and shoulders above everything else. Um, congrats on not seeing what, in my opinion, is the worst one, uh, Attack of the Clones. Uh, I mean, I've seen uh, also bits and pieces of it. I've I watched Anakin try to dual wield and get his hand cut off, yeah. which you know, yeah. I found amusing. But well, it's uh, uh, and as far as Star Wars is concerned, I will finish the third book of the new canon Thrawn uh, trilogy uh, later this evening. I uh, I I'm a massive Star Wars fan and with the exception of the Mandalorian uh, and maybe rogue one, the books are the best things to come out of star Wars in the past, like 30 years. Yeah. And I've also, I watched the last episode of season two of the Mandalorian, like completely divorced from its context. It's pretty that good. Is, that's heresy uh, that you, you managed to watch that one episode <laughs> I've watched uh, other episodes of Mando. Like I watched the side quest episode in season two, where they he takes the the frog eggs. Yeah. Like I watched um uh, storm that like uh, imperial facility that was in like an active volcano. Yeah. That yeah. The uh, cool. Yeah, it's a uh, man. I love that show so much. I. Uh, but no, I've got a, uh, I've got a copy now fantasy, just strict fantasy. I'm way behind on it. I plan on catching up on that next year. All you uh, need but, is Lord of the Rings and the name of the wind. The Patrick Rothfuss book. Yes. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, thought, of, the wind. I thought about that, but I've got, uh, all four books, uh, hardcovers of the stormlight archive sitting next to me. Um, I also have the first Wheel of Time book sitting next to me. Sure. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I've got a lot of work to do fantasy-wise. But yeah, Dune is probably my biggest non-Doctor Who blind spot. And my goal is to read it before the new movie comes out. Fear is the mind killer, Chris. I Something about the spice must flow. Yes, the okay. spice must flow. Also, there's a really good Dune board game that just came out, Dune Imperium. Which it's, it's a deck-building worker placement game. Um for those of you who don't know me, I adore board games. Like, not not necessarily tabletop miniatures games, but just, you know, get your family around a board game and play board games. But uh, not you, Monopoly. You, ah, why not, Chris? You haven't introduced your children to the soul-crushing brutality of unfettered capitalism? No, I want them to have fun while they play board games, or at least think that they might have fun. Whereas Monopoly is not fun at all. Monopoly's great when you're winning. No, it's not. Because you don't get to win fast. You just... Oh, no, that's that's the fun part. You get to just watch the hope fade from someone's eyes as they realize that even if they sold literally everything they own, they couldn't begin to touch the debt that they owe you. Hmm. No, I, uh, I, plan on, uh, I plan on getting some of that Red, so I can play that game. I uh, we're we're board game people, and I'm looking forward to playing some over break here. Uh, what was I gonna say? Where? How did we get this far off topic? 
I don't um, know, but I'm just glad that all of this is set against the backdrop of me talking about how much I love Christmas earlier. Oh, yeah. San, uh, Santa's a time lord, I think, is what we're going with here. He has to be if he's going to deliver to, uh, what's it, like seven, nearly eight billion people uh, in one night? Uh, Santa uses the power of orthodoxy to deliver presents to all the good little boys and girls who affirm the Nicene Creed. And does he punch the rest of them in the face? Yes. Okay. Um, well, there you go. Now, I... Listen, just just to sort of wrap this up, like I, w- what we're not trying to do, and we've already said this a little bit, but what we're not trying to do is, uh, is browbeat people who don't observe it Absolutely. into observing it. It, it, it. You know, and we're also not saying that your elders are making a bad decision uh, if they decide not to observe it. One hundred percent. You know, if that is genuinely what they believe is best to do, that it's not our place to step in and say. Uh, they're wrong on this. This is, as we've mentioned earlier, this is, as far as we're concerned, an issue of liberty and expediency. I think they might be missing out on an opportunity to do some good work in their community. Sure, uh, arguably. But, but, but that's the point. It, it is arguable. Um, you know, there's no, there's no consensus for or against that. Right. And so, you know, given that that's the case, um, you know, and. It's also something where I, as I've hinted at earlier, I'm going to be sensitive enough to it to understand that if I'm at a congregation and I'm not right now, but if I'm at a congregation that is so overwhelmingly against it that I need to avoid the topic at all costs uh, in December, then so be it. I might not agree with them on that, but I'm also, you know, this is not something that is so critical uh, to the lived experience of the gospel that I have to shove it down people's throats, right? right. Um, it is not critical to the life and happiness of the church. Yeah. Um, it, you know, that's not true of the, uh, of the observation of the Lord's Supper, right? There, there's something right. very different about that uh, and about um, the, the biblically mandated practice of that that is not true of most anything else for that matter, let alone Christmas. Um, and so you have any final thoughts on this at all? Truthfully, no, I think we've just about covered it. All right. Well, tell you what, next week, Sam, we talked about doing this before the show next week. I think we're going to do sort of an end of year wrap. Um, we'll probably just do an overview of this, whatever 2020 was, um, and then maybe talk about, I think I'd like to spend a little time talking about some of the things we actually liked this year, big and small, um, which, you know, in most years would be a lot easier perhaps than it was this year, but we're going to make a point of doing that, I think, as well as of course, discussing some of the things that were not so fun. Um, but, uh, uh, to be clear, we, we are not unaware of world events this week. We understand that, uh, uh, that stimulus checks, I think, passed through Congress today, that sort of thing. Um, but frankly, we've talked a lot about stimulus checks, and I don't know that our discussion would have been all that productive on that. I don't know that we would have had a lot new to say about that nope. that we hadn't already said in the couple of episodes following the initial round of checks. Absolutely so, correct. I'm excited about the government giving me some of my money back. I wish they would give me more, but I'll correct. take what I can get. Correct. So. All right, if that's it, you've been listening to the Dink and the, uh, the Dink and the t- Tape. 
the <laughs> here. You know what? You know what? You know what? You do the outro. Thank you for listening to the Deep in the Tank podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you.